0: On the night of January 1st, 1979, two hours into the new year, Emma Benson saw a cross on the moon. Wrapped in her old flannel robe, awakened by a strange disquiet, she stepped outside her clapboard house in the town where she'd lived all her life, deep in the Texas panhandle, and stared up at the unearthly sight, disturbed by a sense the cross was an omen meant personally for her. The next day she was informed that her last surviving child and his wife had been killed in a car accident, coming home from a New Year's Eve party. The caller identified himself as Dr. Rhinelander, a neighbor and close friend of Sonny and her daughter-in-law. He and his wife would keep the couple's eleven-year-old daughter, Kathy, with them, he said, until the courts or whoever was in charge decided what to do with her. What do you mean, the courts? Emma asked. She heard a painful sigh. "'I'm speaking of foster care, Mrs. Benson.' "'Foster care?' Her granddaughter, blood of her blood, growing up under the roof of strangers?' But who else was there to take her? Where else could she go?' There were no family members left. Emma's daughter-in-law had been an only child, adopted by a couple long past childbearing years, and now deceased. Her other son, Buddy, had been killed in Vietnam. She was the only surviving blood connection to the child, but she was someone the little girl had met only once and had probably forgotten, since Emma suspected her name and family place were rarely, if ever, mentioned in her son's household. But she heard herself say, If you'll allow Catherine Ann to stay with you until I arrive, Dr. Rhinelander, I will bring her home with me. Emma? who had never flown in an airplane and had ridden the train only twice in her youth, booked a flight from Amarillo to Santa Cruz, California, and in the confining six hours in the middle seat of her row, cotton inserted into her ears to block the petulant whining and fractious misbehavior of the four-year-old boy behind her, worried to what extent her second son's genes had infected his daughter. Her observation had been that nine times out of ten— First daughters took after their fathers, not only in physiological structure and temperament, but also in character, whereas firstborn sons echoed their mothers. Her first son, Buddy, had proved no exception. But Sonny, coming along later, hadn't a drip of sap from the family tree running in him. Vain, materialistic, self-entitled, with a capacity for empathy no bigger than the eye of a needle, he had felt designed for a more exalted plane than the one on which he'd been born. I was cut out for something better than this, Emma could remember him stating, wounding her profoundly, and at the first opportunity he had taken off to correct the mistake that nature had made. He had rarely come home again, and after his marriage to a woman who shared his temporal values, only once. He said he'd come to introduce Emma to his wife and daughter, but he had come to borrow his brother's life insurance money paid to her when he was killed. She'd refused. Sonny's disaffection for her continued, abetted by his stylish wife who had barely been able to conceal a sniff at the surroundings in which her husband had grown up. Emma had read her disdain to mean that hell would freeze before she exposed her daughter to the place of her father's birth and the stern, no-nonsense woman who had raised him. And, as Emma had correctly interpreted, they'd never come again, nor invited her to their home in California. But she remembered well the delicate, feminine, startlingly pretty little four-year-old, who almost from Emma's hello had crawled into the safety of her daddy's lap and refused to have anything to do with her. Emma had thought her lamentably spoiled. You had only to look at the expensive clothes and toys, to hear the cooing and baby talk, to observe how her parents stood at the ready to grant her every wish and desire, to know that when she grew up, she'd have the substance of a cube of sugar. Still, she was an enchanting little thing with her father's curly blond hair and big blue eyes, gazing, shyly or coyly, Emma couldn't tell, from beneath long lashes that in sleep lay like downy feathers on the sweet, creamy curve of her cheeks. Emma had a picture of her from that time displayed on her bedside table.